When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Rock and Roll Union Streamcast. Uh, really happy to be here. This is the second week under VOC Nation. Bring him back, Bill Puig, man, my good old friend Bill, man. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I'm doing well, CT. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm getting over the tail end of a cold, so I'm going to keep my voice a little on the down low today, but... <laughs> I hear you. Things are going well. Dude, I think everybody I know is sick in some form or fashion, man. It's been a rough winter. Well, and this last week has been rough, too. I've known quite a few people who have been sick, and then you take that and throw um, a huge winter storm with flooding on top of it. Oh, yeah. So uh, we have a great show for you guys this evening. We have Bob Mitchell, who has been around the block with so many different bands, so many different... He, he's been in the game for over 40 years. Uh, really excited to talk to him. And then we will be talking to Tito Puente. Tito Puente Jr., uh, his father was a famous Spanish-Latin drummer, uh, very well known for, uh, I, I always mis, mispronounce that song. Bill, maybe you can help me out with it. It sounds like you're referring to Oye Cobo Va. Yes, there it is. Oye Va. And, and it's funny because my wife's a Spanish teacher. She'll want to kill me on that one. But, uh, guys, it is now my pleasure to bring out Bob Mitchell. Bob, thank you so much for taking some time to hang with us this evening, man. Uh, you've had a long, storied career. You've been in the scene for, uh, what? what is it, 43 years now? 47. 47. Yes, Ow. sir. I began in 1977. I was 12 years old. I had my first band. Nice. Now, what was it about music back then that made you want to get involved in the first place? Same as always, just great. I mean, I grew up listening to music all the time. And uh, anybody who's followed my career, they know this story already. The reason why I wanted to become a singer is Dean Martin. And the reason I wanted to be in a band were the Beatles. There it is. People from my generation, the Beatles and the Stones come up a lot. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's funny to me that if you look at the Stones' new album, the fact that Paul McCartney's on that album is wild to me. I mean, going back to the days of there was one side or the other, but obviously we all grew up under both umbrellas. Oh, the one side or the other was kind of manufactured, I think. Yeah, I think so too. It just proves my point. Greatness is timeless. Mm -hmm. 
man, and you play with so many different bands throughout the years. You've played like you you've been around name a band and you've probably been involved in one form or the other. I mean, one of the things that I was looking at was sabotage and the fact that sabotage went on to become uh for the most part TSO Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Yeah. And uh how was it back then? Like how was the scene back then compared to like what you see out there now? Back then you just had to be good period. You had to work hard, you had to rehearse, you had to be prepared. And we that, you know, we were you know, my first big run was with Attacker back in the 80s. And in the 80s, we were paired up with Fate's Warning. And we played with bands like Motorhead, Overkill, Anthrax, Cities, if anybody remembers them, Sabotage. And then I moved on later when I was in Sleepy Hollow, uh, we opened for Sabotage a couple of times. We opened for Trouble a couple of times. And I tell you, the scene back then versus now is like night and day. Man. And uh, Bill, you you as well have been around that scene. And you, you've seen so, such a difference. I mean, there there's so many things that we can say about yesteryear, so many other places there used to be to play. There's very few of, uh, probably so many venues have gone by the wayside. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, there's are so few places compared to what there used to be back in, especially in the 70s and to a certain extent in the 80s, too. I mean, as Bob said, back in those days, if a band was good, you could find a stage, you could find a uh, a, a platform to get your music out there these days even if you're good it uh requires uh a, a dogged spirit i think for want of a better way of putting it to get yourself in the door you'd have to be really persuasive to the point of being obnoxious you know, where, where uh, before you can finally get yourself uh, uh heard and uh, operating at a decent uh, level because I mean, the other thing about it uh, in the business these days is, and this is, of course, uh, one of the things that, uh, of course, you, anybody who's in social media hears this all the time. Uh, over the course of the last uh, 40 years, bands still expect to make $100 a night. That hasn't changed. <laughs> well, you can get paid if you're good. I mean, a lot of it lies with the acts themselves. You know, um, the trend I've noticed is bands have gotten very lazy. They don't work on their look. They don't work on their music. Therefore, they don't draw a crowd. I mean, in my day, you know, you had to look like you were in a rock band because yeah. not to be misogynistic or chauvinistic, but bands back then drew the women. And where the yeah. girls go, the guys go. You don't see that anymore. Uh, and it's a shame. And, you know, a lot of the fault lies within the bands. I see um, a lot of bands nowadays. They got one good-looking guy and four fat guys. It's like, <laughs> how are you going to draw right. women? How are you going to draw a crowd? And quite honestly, um, I think a lot of it is also, you know, these tribute bands and these cover bands. I mean, it's cool to play covers. I'm not against it. But what happens when you're in a cover band for so many years you, you become lazy. You don't want to write. Why should you write when you can draw a crowd playing other people's music? 
I mean, I've been in a cover band also, but I've sustained a career writing my own music with a lot of great bands. And I think that's the difference between uh, then and now. Um, a lot of it is the band's fault. So, you know, if you want to be heard, you got to do something with yourself. You can't go up there looking like um, a mechanic and you just come out from under your car and you're going to play. I fully agree with that one. Now, now Bill, who plays in a tribute band, but it's a totally different thing as far as I'm concerned. When you hone your craft, and I, I also do a, a separate podcast with a venue called the Landis Theater, and we see so many times tribute that we, we talk about this, the difference between a tribute band and a band that's covering another band. Uh, if you're giving people that experience of, especially a music that's not around anymore or bands that aren't around anymore, to mm -hmm. see a Beatles tribute to me, I'd love to see stuff like that more than I want to see like a Leonard Skinner that's already had their own cover band out there somewhere. Right. Yeah. So um, as far as that is concerned, but I do agree on the look. I do agree on a lot of, you know, rock and roll used to be dangerous. It used to feel dangerous. It used to, that that's where a lot of the, the rush came from. You felt like maybe you were sticking your finger at the man. Maybe you were given that proverbial middle finger to society where it feels like now, like it, it feels like so much music has become politicalized. Same. It's become safe. And that's what rock and roll has become. It's become safe. And I'm like, why? It shouldn't be. And, um, Again, it, it. I mean, I was in that crowd in the '80s when, you know, bands were coming up like Overkill and T.T. Quick and Hades and Fate's Warning. I mean, a lot of these bands were local. They were just local bands, but they were so good. I mean, Bill, I don't know if you remember T.T. Quick. I do. I used to go see them at Great Gildersleeves and and. And then when I got into Attacker, we opened for them at the Rising Sun in Yonkers and the Union Jack down in Jersey. And T.T. Quick did covers, but they peppered in their originals, too, and that's what made them great. So that's my point. If you're going to do covers, that's great. Hone your craft by learning what other people did. But take that talent and write something, create something. I think the creativity has gone down quite a bit in these days. No, I couldn't agree with you more. To a certain degree, I'll throw in my own two cents here, too. I think in some cases, the venues don't help because the venues want music that is fairly safe also. You know, as uh, CT was saying, I play in a prog rock covers band, which you know, is a little bit different for this day and age. We, we don't do any one particular band, but we try and do it across the landscape. Right. And it's been rather difficult to get in the door with that approach because it's a different approach. And the a lot of club owners, the draw. I think a lot of club owners nowadays, they expect you to be a human jukebox. Yeah. And they want the music that comes from Sirius XM or from, you know, Excuse me, from FM Radio. I mean, I had one guy um, who was doing booking for a pretty good-sized venue 
not far from where CT and I live. I won't name the venue because that's not fair. But uh, his comment to me was, I don't know how to market you considering that you're not doing just one band. If you did just like a whole night of journey, I could sell that. But yeah. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, me and 14 other bands in New Jersey who are doing that. Uh, that that's 100% right. And, you know, how many how many ACDC tribute bands out there? How many Led Zeppelin tribute bands and out Skinner, there? And Skinner and Tom Petty. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it, it's it does kill the landscape. But the other thing I wanted to ask you, Bob, as far as that's concerned, is is part of the non-creativity that's out there now because there's really nowhere to push that. I mean, when we came up, it was albums, it was CDs, it was cassettes. It was there. There were so many different ways that you could push it out there. Now, if, if you could put your stuff on uh, Spotify, but you're making maybe three cents a stream, if that. And, and it's like. I know so many people that have had thousands of streams on Spotify and they're getting checks for like $27. And, you know, I wonder if things like that are helping to kill that. Uh, I think it might be. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's no, uh, there's no outlet for any musician. I mean, let me ask you this. Well, let me say this first. When we were growing up, we had, Clapton, Page, Van Halen, Rhodes, Shanker. Who do you got now? Now, in 2024, who is I want to say, I want to say the last, the last great guitar player that came out, as far as I'm concerned, legendary guitar player, would have to be Slash, and yeah. that's going back to '87. Right, exactly. But um, my question is. Who is on the horizon now? Nobody. I can't think of anybody. No. I was going to be a little more charitable, CT. I was going to say maybe Derek Trucks. It's a little bit more recent than Slash. Yeah. Derek, Derek Trucks is phenomenal. Uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band is awesome. But I, I, he has his ties going back to the Almonds as well. So. And Clapton, too. I mean, yeah. the, the first I ever heard Derek Trucks play was... Um, on a tape from one of Clapton's Crossroads festivals where they were doing an old Derek and the Dominoes tune where Derek was basically playing every note that Dwayne Allman played. I'm trying to remember the name of the gentleman that was... Uh, Warren Hayes. Warren yeah. Hayes is another one that comes to mind. Well, but, uh, uh, as far Warren as a, around a newer... Five years too, though. Yeah. What? Aside from guitar players, let's talk about bass players. Couldn't tell you when, <laughs> when we were growing up. When we were growing up, we had Chris Squire, we had John Atwistle, Giza Butler. Who you got now? Well, no, out there. Nobody. That that's that's kind of scary because young musicians have no one to aspire to like we that's do. Right. And you know, I've talked to so many young musicians. And they still cite the same influences that we do. Yep. Which is the, the great. Same I'm talking 18 to 20 year old kids that are still saying the Beatles and Zeppelin and the same the same guys we grew up listening to. And I've always I've always said this: it's what you teach your children. That's My it. youngest son, he can name every monkey song ever written. 
you know, oh, yeah. it's what you show them. He knows every song by the Hollies. But he also knows a lot of Alice Cooper. And currently he likes uh, Machine Gun Kelly and uh, Youngblood. And you do, know you, that, do you know that, why I like them? Because they make my kids happy. Exactly right. I am actually sitting in my son's home right now doing this show. And I raised him with one rule. I will take you to see whatever band you want to see as long as you give my stuff a chance too. And we just went and saw Alice Cooper and Rob Zombie back in September. And, you know, it was, I, I raised him, taking him to Warp Tour and seeing a lot of the younger bands who were out there. So now I'm versed in that as well. And he's seen a lot of legendary bands that people his age don't really go to anymore. No, I know. Uh, you know, my, my little son, he's been very fortunate because... By the time he was five, he has seen Cheap Trick, Judas Priest, and Saxon, wow. and Kiss. Wow. And just recently, he saw Alice, Machine Gun Kelly, and Youngblood. So, I mean, it's it's what you teach your kids. But a lot of kids aren't being taught that. No. You know, we don't have, they don't have the aspirations we had. See, when I was a kid, my my favorite singer of all time is Dean Martin. And I'll always say that. I'm not ashamed to say that either. It's Dean, Paul Rogers, uh, Ian Gillen, Robert Plant, um, the lead singer for Uriah Heep. His name escapes David me. Byron. Yeah, David. I knew Bill was going to know that one. Wow. Those guys were. He was phenomenal. Yes, he was. I mean, they. I mean, they were the soundtrack of rock. Guys like Coverdale and um, so on and so on. I mean, who you got now? And, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, rock and roll uh, in that vein pretty much stopped at about 1997. It did, and it's sad. It, it really is. I mean, I always, I always joke around. When did singers want to stop looking like a young Roger Daltrey? Yeah, right. When did this happen? I'm almost 60, and I don't want to look like what singers look like now. <laughs> you know, I, no always, sense, but, I, always, you know. I always joked around and said, it, you know, rock and roll ended when the lead singers started wearing sweaters on stage. And, like, <laughs> kind of looking like James Taylor or something like that. Like, that's – it's – it's got a place, but it's not rock and roll to me. Back when grunge came out and uh, the the depression that came with it. And, <laughs> you know, I always put grunge down, but it was the last great rock movement. It was. My favorite band of the 90s was uh, Alice in Chains because they were the most metal of all those bands. Oh, yeah. Handstand. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. Those two were phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. Soundgarden was real good too. Yeah. Especially their front men. Yes. And that's the thing. There's no front men anymore. No. You know, you got talent, very highly talented musicians, but no character. Yeah. You know, so I, I wanted to ask you a little bit mm -hmm. going back on uh, some of your experience in the, the Jersey, Philadelphia, uh, Maryland, that. That scene, 
how was that? I mean, you you had some amazing venues that we all missed the Trocadero, uh, Hammerjacks, places like that that you you had played. Yes. What was the difference back then with these venues? Like, what do you see as opposed to uh, Bill? You you mentioned it briefly as far as what venues were allowing back then as opposed to what they're allowing now. Those venues were true rock venues. Uh, I also performed in the Lemoore, which to me is the Madison Square Garden of clubs. Yeah. The rock capital of Brooklyn. I would live not too far from there for a good while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that place. And uh, I've also played in uh, Studio 54, the Gramercy wow. Theater. My old band, Attacker, we were the first heavy metal band to play CBGBs. Oh, boy. Wow. Now, some people would argue, well, ACDC played there in 77. They're yeah, not a metal band. But no. Exactly. ACDC is <laughs> not a heavy metal band. They're a great band, but they're not a metal band. Straight rock and roll is what I always yes. considered ACDC. Absolutely. My band, Attacker, were the first heavy metal band. You know, the power metal and all that. Oh, yeah. First to play CBGBs. And uh, it's a very proud distinction that I love talking about. Man, but a lot of those places, uh, you know, a lot of the clubs now, they don't cater to being a rock venue. Uh, they cater to whatever they can push. Yeah. They want to shove down the public's throats. But there's no places for rock bands to play anymore. Yeah. Original rock bands really have it rough now, that's for sure. That's they have, absolutely. It's the worst I've ever seen for the original people. And uh, I just hope it turns around. I mean, it was great in my day. You could do both and do well. Yeah. Like I said, best example was TT Quick. They were a cover band, but they were doing stuff like Child of Sin and Metal Man in their set. And that's what made them great. So. You know, if we could get back to that, peppering in some original stuff, I think bands will flourish again. I don't see it happening for quite some time. So I got a couple. Uh, I got a couple comments here. Uh, somebody bring in uh, John Five to oh, the list. Yeah. He, oh, he's amazing. That guy. Yeah. yeah. I like that. Somebody enough, else throwing out uh, Mark Tremont, uh, Christina Villa throwing out Mark Tremonti. Even or, for Mark uh, going back 25 years. Ryan Roxy's been out oh, there yeah. a long time, too. But, yeah, Ryan's awesome. I've seen uh, Ryan live with Alice so many times. Phenomenal guitar player. But, once again, he's playing the music that, like, Alice has been around forever. Yeah, he's playing Lynn Buxton's solos a lot of the time. Yeah, yep. Yeah, and that's my point. Who is on the horizon? Maybe yeah, well, Maybe you know, John Five, but I feel like John Five's even been out there for a while. But the, the the big issue I have is when you see some up young up and coming bands, there I feel is a tendency to shit on these bands just for the sake of them. Like I I throw out Greta Van Fleet. I thought Greta Van Fleet. People are like, oh, they sound like Zeppelin. They sound like Zeppelin. Who cares? They're bringing eyes to the to rock and roll. They're bringing that sound back. Well, who cares I who they sound like? Like, like open them doors. 
I'd rather they sound like Zeppelin than what's out there now. So that that was always my feeling is I feel like there is a a snobby bit of attitude that comes from the rock community from some people that uh, people trash Nickelback all the time. I don't, I'm not a fan of Nickelback, but I don't hate the band either. They're just not my thing. But I don't understand where all this anger and hatred comes from when it comes to some of the younger bands. I don't either. I'm like this. If you can make money in our business, God bless you. Because numbers sanctify. Well, that's for sure. And to use Nickelback as the example, I mean, Nickelback at this point has sold probably about 25 million more records than I ever will. (laughs) So (laughs) what could you say? Yeah. I mean, it blows me away when you have the the rock community will trash Nickelback, but then you see some of the uh, some of the people that are supposedly on the best selling rock albums, like Imagine Dragons, who are nothing but pop music. And so many of these r- things that are classified as rock anymore are pop, or they're hip hop, or they're something else, and it, nobody has that sound. Nobody's rock anymore. No, well, to a certain degree. I can understand that people's tastes change over the years and I'm okay with that. But at the same time, there is a quality characteristics that rock from, especially the seventies had even going into the eighties too, but especially the middle and late seventies during the period of Van Halen, Nugent and uh, the power guitars where I remember very, very special. There was something about it that you just couldn't ignore. And what I find so amusing is, I guess it was maybe about a year and a half ago, when Jan Wenner was still in charge of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, he was saying, well, we're going to uh, move on from the 60s and 70s because those listeners are you know, not really the people we want to appeal to at this point in time. Uh, there's other people who have made other contributions over the course of the last 30 years that we deserve, we think they deserve need to be honored too. And I get that, but there still are a hell of a lot of people from the 70s who haven't been honored by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame even yet. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if you've sold 40 million records like you know, Jethro Tull or Emerson Lake and Palmer, that you deserve a place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame simply on that alone. Right. Well, to my understanding, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I someone told me that even Chubby Checker is not in the Hall of Fame. That is a true fact. Oh. Wow! <laughs> you know that. How do you how do you put how do you put Eminem into the Hall of Fame? How do you put Missy Elliott into the Hall of Fame and you don't have Chubby Checker in the Hall of Fame? I mean, that's the foundation of rock and roll, right there. I'll well, keep that is the politics of the music business. Eminem oh. records for Universal, which uh, J- Jimmy Iovine ran for what twenty five years. He's one of the biggest voices in rock and roll today, still. Yeah. So. So some of this is political. It's a what what labels had what artists and how do we balance it across the labels in order to make everybody happy? But to not even acknowledge someone who helped build the foundation of rock and roll, like a chubby yeah. checker, should at least be you know, give him a nod for goodness sakes. I'm, I'm giving you look. I'm giving you the clean version because <laughs> <laughs> no need to Bob. No need to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we have a seven second delay here. I mean, I, I love Chubby Checker, and he deserves it. And if he's not in it, that that's really sad. 
I fully agree with you. So and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> we are quickly wrapping up, uh, Bob, but I want to ask you real quick what you're up to these days. What, how are you feeling? Your day? I mean, are you completely out of music? Are you still writing? What, what are you uh, doing? Well, I am uh, retired from music, from show business. I suffered a stroke a year and 10 months ago. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, you know, my recovery is going really well, so... It definitely is. I mean, I wouldn't have known if you hadn't said anything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you look great. Scariest. Thank you. It was the scariest moment of my life. But in hindsight, the stroke was truly a blessing. And I'll, I'll tell you why. It was a blessing because it allowed me to reflect on everything I've done in music. And I've had the pleasure and blessing of being surrounded by great musicians to put out a lot of records that fans still enjoy to this day, and I'm very proud of that. I've been all over the world, and I've played in some of the best stages you can imagine, and I've performed in some of the greatest European festivals. Uh, more recently, in 2014, I had the honor of playing in Rocklahoma. Nice. And... Uh, you know, and P and since my retirement, my fan base has grown, if that's possible. <laughs> and um, it's going fantastic. I've never been happier. And I'm glad to be here talking to you guys. And uh, I hope to come back soon. Absolutely. I'm telling you, Bob, you're a gentleman that I'm sure me and Bill could spend hours talking to. Oh, no doubt. We'd be here forever. <laughs> so... I, my last question for you, Bob, is there any, I, I know you have a Spotify channel out there. Is there any uh, website or anything where people can go? And uh, you had mentioned, if I can say it, that you're, you're in the process of putting a book together. Yeah. Um, uh, just, chronicling all my uh, accomplishments and uh, putting it all. Yeah. I, I sent you some stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, that hopefully will be part of my book someday. So we'll see how it goes. And a last comment from Christina, you rock. <laughs> Christina, thank you for making this happen. If it wasn't for her, I wouldn't be talking to you guys. Absolutely. Christina is an awesome person. We need more people like her. Wonderful woman. Yeah. Fantastic. But so, I, if I may, I'd like to say something. Sure. About your next guest, Tito Puente Jr. I saw his dad perform at Madison Square Garden at the Fania All-Star concert when I was a kid. Wow. That's killer. Wow. Yeah, he, he was, too, he was a monster. His dad, oh, my God. Oh, I, I never had the opportunity to see Tito Sr. live, but I've Tito seen him. Sr. was a beast. He was fantastic. Oh. I love Tito Puente. Yeah, I, I've seen film clips where seeing him attack the timbales the way he did, it's just oh. amazing what he could do. He hit those things like it owed him money. Ah, <laughs> uh, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna bring him on for just a minute. There he is, bringing up the picture of his dad. dad. There <laughs> he is. There's the man right there. <laughs> yeah, you know, guys. welcome, man. How you guys doing? That's me, just without the white hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait a while. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, great to see you guys. Great to see you guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Happy Happy new new year to you, you as, well. as well, man. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Tito, Tito, 
I saw your father at Madison Square Garden at the Fania All-Star Concert, and he was incredible. That must have been an amazing show. He at was great. The- and the also on the show was Celia Cruz mm-hmm. and uh, El Gran Combo. Oh, wow. Man, that was a big one. They now- do those festivals every year, sold out the garden. I think he did it, from my recollection, I think he did the garden about 30 times. He did. His entire he- career. Wow. That includes the Latin jazz stuff and, of course, you know, the Salsa festivals that he did every year for, wow, for about two decades. But, yeah. Your dad was a beast, and I'm a big fan. All right. Thanks. He was. Thanks. He was Good great. to see you, Bobby. What's up, Billy? How are you? Hey, Tito. Great to see you. Good to see you guys. Thanks, CT, for having me, man. This is great. And Oh, brother, welcome. I'm so glad to talk to you. And, and just to throw a little something out at you, Bob. And yeah. this is this is something that I just realized with Tito talking a little bit earlier is uh, Tito was in a metal band himself. Yes, I was. So oh, he was wow. a metal metal drummer, man, and that's some uh, that's skill. You know the yeah. way I see CT. You know the way I see this. We're all brothers. We're all in the same racket, which is called showbiz. No matter what genre you play, we're brothers. That's right. We all go you know, I, 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 I've always loved rock music, and I'll give you the quick story of the the, the 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 fast one. Okay, so when I was growing up in New York City, then yeah. we moved, we were like the Puerto Rican Jeffersons. We moved up to Rockland County, right? <laughs> ah. My dad made enough money off of Carlos Santana and Oya Comova that yeah. we, that we lived in on on the uh, Upper West Side of Manhattan. Then we moved up to Rockland County. So right. my father at that time had a lot of drums, and he wanted to play like Gene Krupa and Buddy Rich. And those were his favorite drummers. Those were his guys. Yeah. At point, they played a trap kit first. And then of course he learned 13 different instruments, of course, with the conga timbales, vibraphone, a saxophone, and many other instruments. But we, in our garage up in Rockland, there were drum sets. And what did your parents do when you were a kid in the, you know, seventies or eighties, they tell you, don't touch my stuff. What did I do? True <laughs> kid at my heart. I went in the garage I started whacking on the drums and that's where I kind of got into the whole trap kit. And some of my favorite drummers, Neil, the late, great Neil Peart from Rush, of course, oh, because yeah. he celebrated his four-year anniversary. You know, um, I like the heavy stuff. I like the Lars Ulrich, the Metallica, the Dave Lombardo Slayer. I love all the heavy stuff. You would never believe that. But when I tell people the story that I had a heavy metal band in high school, and then we played Battle of the Bands, and we played locally in Jersey and New York and the Bronx and stuff. Right. And they, they, they scratched their head. I had the long hair and everything. And and I still, to this day, I got tickets for, let's see, Motley Crue coming up. Uh, I got tickets for the Metallica show, which is, uh, I think, in August. And then I also have Iron Maiden tickets, which are my oh, favorite. No, those are my favorites. Wow. And uh, you would never believe it. My father didn't really care for rock music until he got a nice fat check from Carlos Santana. Well, you come He's like, I like the rock music now, and that's the story. <laughs> I like the royalties. Yeah. Yeah. I believe it. Oh yeah, I believe it. Well, now, I, with me, I, you know, my biggest hero is Dean Martin, so, and people are like, "How do you go from Dean Martin to heavy metal?" It's easy. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised how many metal singers love Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra, oh, Jimmy yeah. Neil. You'd be shocked. It, it, you know, yeah. would floor you, and. Uh, I love those. I love those performers. My father was good friends, and they both started their career at the same time. The late great Tony Bennett. 
Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You guys, if you, Love remember, Tony. you remember from New York, the, the it was a lot of Latin Hispanics at the 1950s, but more so it was Italians and Jewish people from Brooklyn that would come to see my father. So it was like, you know, Gene Simmons's parents. <laughs> and it was like, it was, it was Tony Bennett started in an El Patio nightclub with my father in 1949. They both started their careers together and they always wanted to do a song together and work together. But that's how they knew each other, you know, coming up. And that's how, of course, Pop knew the Sheila E's, the Pete Escovitos, you know, the Carlos Santana's, all right. the Latin jazz and rock pioneers because they were all influenced by each other. And of course, my, my father precedes all that simply because they called him at that time the king of Latin music throughout his entire career. But he was so influential in pop music and in rock music, especially yeah. the rock drummers. They were like, wow, man, your father plays these uh, six-eighth rhythms and you know his rudiments and his style of playing was it's so... Like I said, he was a beast. He was amazing. Yeah. I loved your yeah. dad. So so the, influ the influence was always there, Bobby. And I, I love that. I could sit with a musician. I could probably sit with you all night long talking music. That's the commodity of being a musician. So everybody's we'll here for days. Yeah. Well, yeah. Said, I mean, One of us said that exact same sentence about 10 minutes ago before you got yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the greatest part about being a musician. Whatever genre you're in, you always have that connection, the commodity of being a musician. Yeah, we're all brothers. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, now, now playing percussion, though, I, you're making a really great point as far as Neil Peart is concerned. Playing percussion and especially playing Latin style percussion, I could see that there would be very much of a kinship to drummers like Neil Peart and Phil Collins and Bill Bruford because yeah. of the, the odd meters that they often played in their music. All of them have always integrated the timbales, congas, and bongos into their repertoire, into their sets, and into their music. If you listen to closely to Rush and Neil Peart, he was very much influenced by Tito Puente. And I just got to talk to my buddy Dave Lombardo from Slayer, who just recently came out with a record that was totally influenced by Latin music. He's Cuban. You know, yeah, he's friend. Cuban, yeah. And it was amazing how he called me. He's like, your father meant so much to me that if you listen to a lot of the Slayer stuff, I have the Tito Puente rhythms in there. I do recall one night I was at Lamore and I met David because Slayer was playing uh, at Lamore the next night. Mm -hmm. And he and I talked about music and what he was into would floor you. He was into the, the big band era and Tito Puente and... You know, he loved all the singers. So mm -hmm. it's like I said, you'd be surprised what a lot of rock singers are into. Very much so. The Duke mm -hmm. Ellington, the Count Basies, the, the oh, yeah. Girls, all those great bands. You can hear them in the Tito Puente Latin music. When my father did his arrangements, the, the integration of big band swing music and Cab Calloway and that sound is always involved in Latin and Latin jazz music. And that's amazing that, that we had someone like Tito Puente who could integrate and combine those um, he called it a marriage. He's like, jazz and mambo music's like a marriage. Taking things from each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Took yeah. the best of both worlds, made it great. Yeah. Yeah. You made now, my question, my question for you, Tito, is growing up when your dad found you kind of uh experimenting a little bit with the drums, how do you take to it? I, I got some video of that, and that's gonna come out in a documentary series nice. that we're putting together. Uh, with the, one of the streaming services. And I'm very happy to tell you guys about that and tell the world about that. I'm, I'm very much into it. We're taking a lot of eight millimeter VHS tapes and pneumatic tapes, digitizing them. And then I got some video of my father coming into the garage and me jamming with the band. And we were playing, I think, a Sepultura song, like a real heavy metal. Wow. Metal. 
all heavy shit, all heavy shit. And he comes barging in in his robe, and he's like, hold on a second. Stop this in the middle of song. And he looked at me, he goes, you're off beat. <laughs> so I got that on video. And, uh, you know, he didn't care for the music, but he knew that pop, rock, hip-hop, uh, all genres of music, you know, were, were something that he had to, actually look at and say, I got to join the team. Because remember, my dad's music was very popular in the 1940s, 50s, and then the 60s moved to Boogaloo. It moved to, and then the Fania thing came. That was all salsa, salsa yeah. romantica. So my yep. dad kind of uh, chameleon, uh, kind of like he, he reinvented himself and started doing Latin jazz. He worked with the first hip hop group, which is Sugar Hill Gang. He started yep. doing dance music, freestyle, house music, uh, all kinds of different genres. So he said, I'm going to stay in tune with what the kids are into today. And I think even today, he would have been 100 years old. I guess he would have probably played a cowbell in some uh, Ariana Grande song <laughs> or something. I like him doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's funny to me because I, I'm a diehard Jimmy Buffett fan. I'm a big parrot head. And a lot of that Latin music leaked out over to his music. He, he did a lot of world, did a lot of uh, Cuban music, a lot of tropical sounding stuff and as far as continuing that legacy now in spanish culture in uh that latin music who are some of the young bands i mean not everybody is as versed into that scene as you are tito yeah who are some of the young heads that you see coming up now that are maybe following in your footsteps or your dad's footsteps? Or there's some, there's some great talent out there. I see it online, and and I'm I'm pleased to say that they're still embracing and honoring and respecting the music. My last name means bridge in Spanish, by the way. Yes. My means bridge. Yeah. My father did that for six decades, and I've been doing that for 20 years now. He's passed away 20, well, to be 24 years this year, and he just turned 100 last year. So. Uh, it's something that I feel like the youth of today, they need more institutions, more conservatories of music to put in Latin and jazz music and learn more about your craft. I don't see music in the schools anymore. Like when I was growing up, I had a fucking bass, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had a fucking bass and I was playing that shit and ride my bicycle with that damn, I'm talking about stand-up bass on yep. my back, just to learn about bass. You know, they say drummers are frustrated bass players and bass players are frustrated drummers. So I wanted to learn something. And I feel like that's what's missing right now. But I do see a lot of talent. I got a cat, just won a Grammy, two Grammys last year in the Latin uh, category. His name is Tony Sucan. Fantastic timbale player from Peru. He's doing well. He just finished a record with Sheila E. Um, and he's a fantastic young up-and-coming talent where I feel like he's going to take drumming and percuss Latin percussion. He also has a, a line of drums with uh, LP, Latin music. With nice. LP music. So, yeah, he's one of those cats. There are some great singers, too. Um, but musicianship-wise, I see that the, everybody's kind of combining the Latin roots. And, the you know, one of the biggest artists in the world is this guy named Bad Bunny. But I'm still yeah. I'm so glad during his concerts, this fucking Bad Bunny guy – Always respects Celia Cruz, Tito Puente, Hector Lavoe, the Fania All-Stars, Eddie Palmieri. So to me, that's nice that he's teaching his audience. That's awesome. 21, 20 years old. He's teaching them about what my father really did for, for the, you know, the music community in general. And speaking of Bad Bunny, he's pretty damn good in the ring, too. <laughs> I see that. <laughs> he's, a, he's a pro wrestler. Oh, pro wrestler. Very good. I think he's Yes, good. he is, man. He could really fly in the air there. When I first heard about him going in the ring, I'm like, 
he's going to get killed. Yeah. <laughs> then he went in there with Damian Priest, and, you know, Priest is a very safe guy yeah. in the ring. So he had a beautiful match with Damian Priest. And, uh, he got a career there, man. He's one of those oh, yeah. Puerto Rican wrestlers now. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I remember growing up seeing Pedro Morales. Yeah, man. Those are the greats. Yeah, and it's funny because my father knew all the a lot of different athletes too. They yeah. wouldn't even think that an athlete would be so far into music the way they are. But a lot of those wrestlers and even the basketball players, man, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was a massive Tito Puente fan. Nice. Magic Johnson, these cats, Michael Jordan loved Tito Puente. Your father's Tito Puente, man. I got to meet all these great, great. Uh, you know, of course, being from New York, Yankee fan, Knicks fan, all that. I got to meet a lot of them, and I didn't realize that they were all. You know, Puente fans, and you would never know that. Yeah, yeah. So I grew so, up in Brooklyn myself, and I wonder whether some of that is just like a late night after hours culture coming in. Yeah, yeah, could be. And if you're from Brooklyn, then of course you know who Tito Puente is. I think everybody in the face in the, the entire borough of Brooklyn, from from Brownsville to Bushwick to to Bedford Stuyvesant, they all know the Puente name. And I think and we know him in Hoboken too. That's they know him Tracy. Come on, in Hoboken. Yes. Now, I had heard of uh, Tito Puente uh, fairly long before Oya Como Va because yeah, my father right. is of Spanish heritage. Man, yeah, he... I got him back in the day when he used to look like that. Oh, my Lord, yeah. <laughs> old school. <laughs> old school stuff, man. Yeah. I got all, He got over 180-plus records, man. That's, I'm trying to talk to like the Guinness Book and maybe try to get him as the most recorded Latin artist ever because I don't think anybody can top that. I know Celia Cruz has about maybe 70, 80 albums. And uh, I think James Brown is a close uh, third right there. But these guys got a lot of recordings, unreleased shit, too. Just amazing stuff. So hopefully that'll happen maybe in the f- sometime future. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it should. I think it should because uh, I don't think there is any other Latin artist. Uh, I, I, I talked to Emilio Estefan, Gloria Estefan's husband. And he said yeah. he's going to try to, you know, uh, you know, spearhead that. So that way it, it could be recognized, Afro-Cuban music like that. Remember, my dad played Afro-Cuban music, but he was a po- Puerto Rican, born and raised in New York City in El Barrio. So he really, nice. you know, he branched out and took that music and brought it to a maximum level that, you know, even, God, man, he's on The Simpsons, bro. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there were other people out there doing this music. Mondo was out there. Perez Prado was out there. But there was only yeah. one, you know, Puente. That's the yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. And I'll take it one step further. Because of your dad's association with Santana, your dad should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I, I, I've been, I love that you said that, Mitch. And, 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 and I mean, Bob, pardon me. Bar, uh, That's fine. Mitch is cool. Bob, Bobby Mitch, I got you. <laughs> well, I, I've been talking to them. They have so many different uh, leaderships over there. But I think um, that is something because I'm seeing the hip hop go in, I'm seeing all yep. the uh, country dollies in there. So Tito Puente is an American icon. I, he should I be in know. there. Born and raised, served the United States Navy. Mm. You know, born and raised in New York City. So yeah, I, and I think that's a great, great move. Uh, and hopefully, I will uh, be the spearhead with that, along with Emilio Estefan, because I know that he has a, a hand in that too as well. You would never believe that 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 he would, but he's very much in the, the whole Grammy thing, and of course the the voting 
uh, procedure of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I listen to Eddie Trunk a lot, which I'm sure oh, you yeah. love. Yeah, I do too. You know, Eddie, you know, I hear him always slamming them and telling us, you know, man, you know, your, our votes don't count. We need to change it up. And I would be behind that, you know, and I'm glad to see that Eddie loves rock. But I think Puente, as far as a songwriter, he um, needs to be in there. He acknowledged in that factor. I mean, Oye Como Va is, 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 Right up there with songs like Stairway to Heaven. I mean, these are songs. It was Woodstock, man. Like, yeah, yeah these songs endure, and he should yeah. be in there. Yeah, they, they are songs that, that last a lifetime. Yes. I never believe it. The, the gift that keeps on giving. They Hell, transcend man. generations. The damn song put me through college, so I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's giving me a career, and, uh, you know, it's one of those songs that keeps giving back, like Macarena, you know? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. You know, massive so, hit. What's funny is that Tito Puente isn't a one-hit wonder because he no. has his catalog so large. It's just that song resonates because of Carlos Santana and the right. rock world. The rock fans are really the ones that made that song what it is today. Yes, well, it wasn't even the only uh, Tito Puente song that Carlos recorded. I mean, he recorded uh, Para Los Sombreros too, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes, he did Para Los Sombreros. And, uh, and not only that, but... A lot of the greats uh, that he worked with, the Pete Escobedo, Coke Escobedo, Sheila E., um, all those Bay Area, you know, cats, they all understand. Neil Sean loves and respects Tito Puente and Journey. Um, most of those bands, most of those groups, and we got to thank Bill Graham for that. Bill Graham was that. Oh, yeah. Kid. Oh, he from Brooklyn, yeah. went over there, got Santana, and yep. find everybody together. And he was a fan of Puente, and that's how he got, I guess, Carlos kind of to record the song. But I think Carlos's mom, and his, uh, I think was the, really the one that pushed it because she was the one listening to it back in 1963, the original version, which is, wow, that's over 50 or 60 years old. Wow. Yeah, amazing. So, Tito, I wanted to ask, as far as Latin music is concerned, there has been a really big push, especially in other forms of music as well, but you can't help but notice a lot of the electronica that's put into Latin music now, a lot of drum machines being used, a lot of uh, synthesizers and things along those lines. What are your thoughts on that as far as in that realm of music? In EDM music, I guess that's what they call it, right? Yeah. EDM music. I believe that a lot of the records that came prior to EBM at that time was called house music yep. and New York style house music. Right. Uh, my father was working with a guy named a uh, very popular DJ named little Louis Vega, who was married to one of, they call her the princess of salsa, La India. Uh, fantastic singers. I remember uh, her. Yeah. She was many, many records together. Um, it was on strictly rhythm and a lot of nervous records. And, and Tito Puente was part of that whole genre back in the eighties and nineties. So he really like uh, connected with the youth. And today I would give the credit to like Bad Bunny, Daddy Yankee, Carol G, those big artists, those big Latin artists that sell out arenas. They still integrate Tito Puente's music, whether you be a Latin DJ who's on the radio on Mega in New York or any radio station that's Latin or jazz across this nation. They've always honored and respected Tito Puente, whether it be on his birthday or, or some sort of tribute to Latin jazz. And that's good that my father still is in people's ears 24 years after his passing. But I think the music today can blossom into more. I love EDM music too. And I, and I hope that the DJs continue to play the, um, the music of Tito Puente. The Mambo King soundtrack had a version of Rancan Can, 
which is a Tito Point they hit from 1949 in a house version, and it did very well. I think it went gold. That wow. was soundtrack from Electra Records, and that that's been around for about 20 years, and that's still yeah. being played today. Man, so what's the schedule looking like for you, Tito, coming up? Where uh, where can people come check you out at? Got a lot of gigs coming up in, the, in 2024. We just celebrated the 100th centennial last year of Tito Puente. Very, very exciting. Um, you guys could just follow my social media. I'm just like everybody puts out their tour dates in January and February for like the summer. So that my agents are kind of putting it all together. They're all fighting with each other right now. Oh, I need this day. We need that day. And that's a good fight. You know, it's Absolutely. a good thing to be working. So I'm very grateful for all the fans and grateful for the agents that they're pushing me out there into markets that I've never been to, like Wyoming, Montana. Uh, I'm going to really uh, uh, obscure places and universities where they are interested in hearing more about Afro-Cuban music. So not only do I do the concerts, I get to do kind of like a drum clinic or not even a clinic, just a history of mambo music for for some students, which I really like and getting into now. But just follow my social media at Tito Puente Jr. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, and TikTok. Yes, it's me. I don't have anybody running my social media. Um, so you guys well know that. So if you see me on there, you'll see me doing some goofy stuff. But I usually have the concert dates up there. And don't forget... You guys got to pick up my brand new hot sauce. Yes, I was going to ask oh, you about boy. that. <laughs> got the Tito Puente Jr. hot sauce. I love ready it. for you guys in 2024, man. These are the five-ounce bottles. So if you guys want to get some hot sauce and put some picante salsa in your life, <laughs> ding, ding, right here. I got four different flavors. You can go to TitoPuenteJrHot.com and get it there. Or just check out my social media. I'll send you the link. Talk about wrestling. That's some Latino heat right there. <laughs> yeah, you ain't kidding. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, guys, thank you so much for taking some time out to hang out with us tonight, man. Really excited thank to talk to you guys more. This is great. And, Tito, it was an honor to meet you. I love Bobby, you. man, look forward to catching up with you, man, on the road somewhere. Love we to have see you, man, wherever you're gigging, wherever you're jamming. Bill as well. Love to. I see you got a big record collection there, man. That's crazy. <laughs> So, um, uh, and about of half of what it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's valuable stuff you got there, man. All the, all the good records and, and, and all the, the tapes. Those are very, very cool stuff. I got Tito Puente eight tracks. Go figure. Wow. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if you can see it with the quality of the picture, but quite a lot of what's on that wall there are reel to reel tapes. Those are reel to reels, man. Wow. Yeah, you got to fake them and bring them out, man. Those wow. are the <laughs> but thank you, CT, for having me. I love you guys. And hey, happy new year to guys, man. Happy new year. Happy, happy new year, year you too. too. May oh, the best guys. with you guys and, and have a fantastic January. Here we go. Hopefully, there's it'll get a little bit warmer and you can uh, go outside and enjoy the sun. <laughs> yeah, man. Looking forward to that. Guys, yeah. have a great night. Thank you. Uh, Bob, you as well. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, brother. Love you guys. CT, thank you for having me. Bill, it was a pleasure. Tito, an honor. And Christina, if you're watching, thank you for making this happen. Yes. Have a great sure night, gentlemen. Out there. She's been sending thank messages. You. See ya. Oh, is she really? Wow, okay. Yeah. So, all right, Bob, have a good night, my friend. You too, brother. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. So there was Tito Puente and Bob Mitchell, guys. That was such a great time. Um, so changing things up a little bit, you know, uh, me and Bill talked a little bit before Bill decided to come rejoin me. We're going to change the scene a little bit, uh, change 
what we've been doing on the pocket. That was a great interview. I didn't expect Bob to hang out the whole night. I'm glad that he did. And uh, that just added another special element to it. But um, we're looking at changing things up a little bit. Maybe not all interviews that like we've done in the past. But also there's some things that, and Bill, correct me if I, if I step out of line here a little bit, but there's some things that I feel like as somebody in a scene, I've kind of bitten my tongue for a long time. I, I've shut my mouth. I haven't really had the chance to really show my full opinions on things or to really talk candidly or to really uh, even talk about the, the national scene and the big players in the game and some of the labels that are out there. And I, I, I want to get into all that because I, I feel that we've been covering the local scene. We've been covering the regional and some international bands, but I also want to talk as a whole in the rock community. And I feel like I haven't done uh, any of that. What do you think though? Well, I don't, I think you might be selling yourself a little bit short because the local and the regional scene definitely is inspired by you know, the national and, and global scene. So there's a symbiotic relationship there. Yeah, absolutely. But, but that being said, it's, I think, important to uh, take a, a barometer from you know, who, the be- who the big artists are, what they're doing in order to get a sense of where, where the trends are headed. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I remember back in the 70s, you kind of could... Uh, take the temperature of where rock and roll was going by what the stones and what by, by what David Bowie were doing at any given time. Yeah. I don't know that there are really that many artists out there today where I could look at them and say, that's the direction for the next five years, but it'd be nice to be able to look at things from a holistic perspective and get a sense of who might be the artists to watch. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we talked about it a little bit earlier this evening, talking about that danger in rock and roll. There used to be certain controversies that were with rock and roll, but the controversies always came the album sales because the views always went to whoever was stirring the pot, whoever was causing that trial. I remember Guns N' Roses back in the 90s, oh, yeah. all the stadium like riots there were and things like that. And I feel like it's possible in today's day and age. Here's the problem. I think if you get a rock band, and I just want to bounce this off you. If you get a rock band that is not afraid of cancel culture, if you get a rock band that is not afraid to say how it is today, I think so many bands and so many people are playing it safe anymore. They're afraid to step one step over one line this way or the other that everything seems to be politically correct. Now everything seems to be squeaky clean and nobody wants to rock the boat and nobody wants, I feel if you get a young hungry band out there that is not afraid of any of that, I think that might be your next big step. I think you are perhaps onto something there. I really, and you mentioned guns and roses as a case in point there. Uh, It really isn't uh, the case that uh, we've seen a whole lot of people stirring up the boat in recent times. I think social media has changed the marketplace and the landscape a lot in that regard. Oh, because yeah. word gets around so quick 
and it can get turned around. You people put their interpretations of what's happening out there so quickly that you, you lose control of the narrative if you're the artist. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, let's face it, to a certain degree, like with Guns N' Roses or later with people like Eminem, to a certain degree, some of that was staged. Yeah. And they, and they knew that they could um, temper the message and take it just so far because they had their uh, PR departments and their labels you know, working with them to make sure that they got in front of the right audiences to say the right thing at the right time. The control over the message is a lot harder these days. Here's a good comment. Somebody said, but they won't get distribution if they aren't corporate friendly. That's true too. But as a whole right now, do we really care about that distribution? I mean, we, we really don't have labels anymore. We have bands that are make it like, I look at bands like Dirty Honey that made it gold. I don't know if they made it platinum, but I know they made it gold on their own merit, on their own like label. Like, yeah. I don't know if distribution really is a major concern anymore. What do you think, Bill? Well, I think to a certain degree, it depends on how you're looking to get the music out there. Dirty Honey is an interesting example because they actually pressed vinyl of their product as well as CDs. Yeah. Uh, but in this day and age, of course, you don't have to do physical media at all. I mean, you can stay with Spotify. You can put things out on YouTube. You won't make money that way, but you certainly can get your message out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing to think about, it's such a tough world because, you know, I think of things like Spotify and if bands don't put their music on Spotify, do they get listened to? And it's, you know, you're not making any money being on Spotify, but if you take a stand against Spotify, are you going to get anywhere? Like it's a tough game to play anymore. I think some of it is understanding who the market for a particular track or style of music might be. Um, the singer in my band uh, does uh, side duty with another band that is basically a party band on the Jersey Shore. And one song that they recently have been uh, performing in concert is the old uh, Golden Earring song, Radar Love. And they got a decent quality video of it, and they put it up on YouTube basically to you know, get what they thought was some light promotion. What they didn't realize was that even though Golden Earring was something of uh, a second-tier band in the United States, in Europe, especially in Holland, where they were from, they were kings. They were yeah. a tremendously uh, uh, well-thought-of and uh, high-selling band. They put their version of Radar Love up on YouTube, and I think they had 30,000 views in a week. Wow. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, there's it, it truly is a game anymore. It's you never know what's going to hit big and it anymore whatever does hit big is only big for 5 seconds, maybe a day. Like we change so quick anymore. Yeah, it's uh, the Andy Warhol philosophy, we'll all be stars for 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly right. So uh, we're going to wrap it up right now. But, Bill, thank you so much for being here. Uh, taking a look, quick look ahead at next week. Um, bear with me for one second. Oh, next week we are having our roundtable. We will be joined by Ray Mamrek, the owner of the Landis Theater. Uh, he will be with us. Steve Desco, the Aussie of Land of Oz, will be with us. Uh 
couple other surprises that I'm currently working on. We're going to do a roundtable on tribute bands with uh, the people that are, that are there. And Bill, you're right there with it as well. So it, it this is a big discussion to have and what makes a good tribute band and what just makes a band a cover band doing other like one specific band songs or so many, like so many different ways to look at it. So many nuances that perhaps I don't even realize that you guys can fully go into next week. Uh, it'll be an interesting discussion because I know that, uh, you know, as I was saying uh, during um, the earlier part of the show, there are some venues out there that have a very sp specific, very focused view of what I tribute band needs to be That's and it's it. not just um, in terms of the appearance but it's also even in terms of the genres of music that they're willing to embrace so it'll be interesting to see what uh what ray in particular thinks being um uh, uh the the owner of a fairly prominent venue and uh trying to figure out how to get uh, the best business you know to uh, and the right matches of bands to come into his building yeah it, it's it's something, and the Landis this year, I mean, they must have at least 20, maybe more tribute bands that are already scheduled for this coming year. And there's, I mean, it seems like there's a tribute to anybody out there anymore. Um, I didn't realize that Junkyard had enough songs to have a full tribute band. So I think I could tell you one Junkyard song. <laughs> there's a whole tribute band out there full of it. So um, it, it's crazy. And there's like, like you said, Bill, there's, there's so many different avenues to go down and so many different things to take a look at when one chooses to go into that venture. So, but Bill, thank you so much for being here this evening, my friend. Well, Looking it's a pleasure forward to always, next man. week. I hope you feel better, man. I, I know this, uh, this stuff going around, like I said, I just got done my cough a couple of days ago and I had that thing for like maybe two months. So exhaustion is still hitting me. Uh, I've been feeling better in the last uh, day or so, but yeah, it, th this is a rough one. Yeah. So, all right, guys. So thank you so much for checking us out. Check out all the other great shows on VOC Nation. And until next time, guys, don't just leave it. Leave it better. Have a good evening, everybody. Take care. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stroh Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stroh Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash palpistro. The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In The Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Cassie Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right Ray? We sure are, and we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. 
Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then we got uh, pregnant. I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs, yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010, VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hick, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect well, is? Well, I'll tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... Well, what's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Bruno was an early champion. You know? Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. Please go out there, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiant? Well, actually, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a loss. Did have anything to do? Well, yes, but the whole thing is this, if you rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation Radio Network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Name.